Normal expectations, you know. I grew up a non-practicing Catholic. I was Catholic, and I loved God on some level, but didn't really practice on a heart level as much as I did on a, you know, go to church level. And it wasn't until I was 13 or 14 that um, I had an experience with God that dramatically shifted the way that I thought about Him. Uh, I wasn't. Um, into, you know, a lot of the things that you see maybe in more like, you know, expressive churches. I wasn't clapping. I remember the first time my dad brought me to a church and I sat next to this little lady who like looked like kind of like a fairy. Not, I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, she just looked like she should have wings poking out of like she was little and kind of like hopped around and she had a tambourine and she kept kind of like hitting me with the tambourine like accidentally as she was frolicking, you know, during the songs. And I was just like, I'm here's like this 13, 14, I'm like, you're like, lady, stop hitting me with a tambourine, you know. And, um, and so I'm going to this church and, you know, not a whole lot was connecting for me. And then there was this one time where this guy is praying. Some of you guys have heard this. I've shared this before. It was a real turning point in my life as a follower of Jesus because it forever rattled my expectations. And somebody uh, was there, a guest preacher, and he prayed for me. And when he prayed for me, I cannot explain it any other way except that I got ran over by God's power. Um, I don't know what it was uh, exactly going on, but it was like I stuck my fingers in an electrical socket and got blasted onto the ground by a force that was not the dude pushing me, okay? Um, I'm not a big fan of, like, pushing people over, you know? Uh, But this was God knocking me over. And so here I am, 14 years old, whatever, laying on the ground now. And other people are singing and dancing, and I'm on the ground. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I'm laying on the ground. This never happened in Catholic church. Except, you know... I got to get up. And so I try to get up. And now I'm like, crud, something's wrong with me. I can't get up. And it was like somebody was laying on my chest. And so I'm, I'm sitting there looking like, I'm, I don't know, like I'm crazy like this. Not because anything's wrong with me, just because I can't get up. I'm like, you know, I've fallen, you know. All right, that's old. So anyways, you know, um, so I'm laying there and I seriously, legitimately, it was like, it was like God had his foot on my chest. And so I'm laying there and I'm thinking to myself, all right, this is strange. What am I, maybe I can roll over, you know? You know, I couldn't roll over either. And so I'm laying there on the ground and all of a sudden the expectations of how to interact with God are crumbling around me. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit deep in my soul. And he said something supernaturally profound. Stop trying to get up. I'm putting things back together on the inside. And from that moment on, everything about how I believed God could interact with people today started to change. And, um, you know, it's hard to backtrack after God knocks you over. And something started to shift inside me. And I got up after about 45 minutes of being on the ground. And I, I got up and something had supernaturally, significantly shifted inside of me. The bitterness that was in my heart, the unforgiveness, the unbelief. Uh, the pride that had separated me from God, God had somehow divinely by his grace moved those things out of the way and I got up a different person. And from that time on, I'm not exaggerating, from that moment on, I found within myself an insatiable hunger to know God. And nobody had to like prod me. Nobody had to convince me. Nobody had to make me feel guilty every morning, every night, seeking God, praying, reading the scripture. Not because, you know, that's not normal for a 14-year-old, you know, but that's not normal 
for a 14-year-old unless that 14-year-old's encountered God. And so my whole paradigm of normal shattered that day. And I began to have to go back to Scripture and ask God, God, how does normal actually work? Ever been to Holland? Anybody ever been in the Netherlands before? A couple of us? Cool. Well, I remember the first time I was in the Netherlands, um, you know, we're there, we're staying with a host family. And, uh, you know, it was a bunch of us in ministry. We're traveling around doing a bunch of different ministry events, you know, and stuff. And so uh, we get up that morning. You know, we got there that evening. We, we get up that morning and, you know, we walk down to the kitchen for breakfast. And, uh, you know, you don't really know what to expect when you're in a different country. And so you get there and there's bread and there's chocolate spread and there's sprinkles. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. You know, like. We're going to have chocolate spreaded sprinkle bread for breakfast. Like, this is incredible. But, and so I'm slamming this chocolate, you know, sprinkle bread. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I think this is just normal for them. Like, I think this is like, you know, and so different places have different, you know. Uh, I remember the first time I got off of a train in Holland, you know. And you get off the train and, uh, you know, you come out of the train station. And as far as the eye can see are bicycles. And you're thinking to yourself, like, you know, I'm an American. Like, I don't ride, you know, four blocks I get in my car. You know, like, I mean, like, I don't, you know, like, I'm not a bicycler. And uh, if you are a bicycler, then um, God bless you. You're probably a few pounds lighter than I am. And, uh, you know, um, and, uh, and so I look around and, and every person, you know, um, has, you know, doesn't run to their car. They run to their bicycle. And, and it's the culture of that area particularly that, you know, bicycling is far more accepted than maybe, say, you know, in America. You know, I was in the Philippines one time and I was on this one particular island in the Philippines in the middle of nowhere. And we're on this big, um, you know, uh, like charter bus and we're driving uh, any any animal lovers in the room today. Okay, a few of you. Um, So we're driving, you know, this charter bus and I'm sitting in the front. There's two Filipino guys driving the bus. I wasn't driving the bus, you know, and and we're driving down this little windy road and I see up ahead this little dog. You know, just kind of like chipping around. And, and the Filipino guy looks at the other Filipino guy and goes, wham! And just creams the dog. Just totally slams the dog with the, with the bus. And, and I, I'm like, huh! You know, like, I'm like, you know, and I didn't know what to say. And I looked over at, at another kid who was a Filipino. He said, he's like, in this place, dogs are like rats, man. And that's just what's normal. That's just what's normal there. Have you ever been to London? You ever been, anybody been to the UK before? I think I was 21 the first time I ever went to the UK. And, you know, you already know when you go there, hey, they drive on the opposite side of the road, right? Everybody knows that. But it doesn't really matter that you know that. You get there and just instinctively you go, we're good. Oh, no, we're not good. You know, and I mean, I can't tell you how many times I almost got creamed by those double-decker buses because, you know, in, in England, obviously, the, the uh, road is the opposite of what we're used to. And it takes a lot of time to adjust your normal. Anybody married? I'm going to completely mess up your world right now. I want you to take off your wedding ring. Come on, right now. Take it off. Come on. I can't take it off. Yes, you can. Take it off. No, don't throw it. Um, Put it on your opposite hand. Come on. Can't fit? Yeah, mine's never getting off. Try. Just try. So, so, Or you, you can just take it off and hold it. And just allow yourself now, those of you who are married, I know this doesn't apply to everyone. Maybe you have a watch if you're not married or something. Just allow yourself now to feel. Do you not feel naked everywhere? 
I mean, like, is that not the most awkward feeling? Because your brain has gotten so used to normal that now, go ahead, just leave it like that. Let me just torture you for a little while. Go ahead and just leave it like that. Leave it on your opposite finger and allow your brain to not think about anything else that I'm saying because you're bothered by that reality. Now, I looked up normal in the dictionary, and here's an interesting definition. If you like to take notes, you can write this down. Normal is serving to establish a standard. And so within every culture, within every community, within every sphere or people group, you have these normals that develop, okay, serving to establish a standard. So you have a normal. You have a normal routine in the morning. You have a normal routine at night. And there's a, there's a power in life rhythm. You get more accomplished sometimes in life rhythm because you're able to just execute without a whole lot of thinking. And so every part of our life, including our relationship with God and our interactions with God, becomes normalized by the things that we do. I want to talk to you about Jim. If you know this guy, um, forgive me. He's not a real person. I made him up. So uh, if you know someone by this name, please don't be offended and walk out. At least not for this reason. Jim McMillan lived a relatively normal Christian life. <coughs> he didn't grow up as a practicing Christian, but came to faith in Jesus after his girlfriend, took, uh, his girlfriend Lori took him to hear Franklin Graham speak in New York City. After coming forward at the end of Franklin's sermon, praying a prayer and filling out a little card, Jim felt different. He slowly stopped smoking weed and having sex with his girlfriend, and the two were, the two were soon married. As time passed, Jim stopped going to Foxwoods every weekend, but still dabbled with internet pornography from time to time. He spent 10 to 15 minutes every morning asking God to bless his day and reading a short devotional book, and he would sometimes pray during his car ride to work. He rarely missed a Sunday church service unless the New York Giants played an early Sunday game. Time went by, and Jim and Lori had kids. The kids attended church weekly until they left for college, where, no longer mandated by their parents, they experimented with smoking weed, sleeping around, and getting drunk. They, of course, did their best to not mention these habits to their parents. With an empty house, Jim spent most of his time following sports, rebuilding an old Mustang engine, and collecting antiques. He gave about 3% of his income to the church, and he went on one foreign missions trip where he helped build a local uh, school in Mexico. He rarely talked openly about his faith, and he never experienced the joy of leading someone else to Christ. He didn't pray for anyone to be healed or seek God's uh, prophetic direction, so those things rarely happened. His two kids never saw anything in their dad that was worth giving their lives for, so they loosely held Christian affiliations without ever experiencing the substance and power of the gospel. Jim died of a heart attack at age 72. He left behind a strong 401k, a half-built Mustang engine and a life that in most respects would be categorized as normal. I remember uh, reading Gandhi many years ago, uh, and he said, I'd be a Christian if, if I had ever met one. And, you know, um, I just have a question. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Have you ever read this thing? Maybe you haven't. Um, you should, over the next couple of weeks, take some time to read the book of Acts, okay? There's a book in the scripture. If you're not familiar with the scripture, that's fine. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four accounts of the life of Jesus. And then you have the book of Acts. This is what happened after Jesus rose from the grave, okay? This is how the church acted in the early days after Christ's ascension. And so we have this account of the book of Acts. And what you'll find very quickly is that if you were just to insert your life into the book of Acts that it would probably be the chapter that everybody skips. If I were to insert my life in the book of Acts, would I take the time to ever read that chapter? You walk through it and you say, okay, miracle here, power of God there, crazy story here, crazy story there, miracle here, power of God there, and then there's Bill. Bill rebuilt a Mustang engine. Bill chopped wood. 
I, I'm chopping wood right now. Sorry. That's a small hobby of mine at the moment. Bill, you know, uh, got his degree seven times. You know, Bill, you know, uh, made $130,000 a year. Bill had the nicest car. Bill had, you know, uh, clothes from the greatest store. Whatever. Bill did this and that and this and that. And it doesn't really look the same. And my question, I guess, is are you content with that? And what I'd like to do over the next uh, couple of minutes this morning and over the next couple of weeks is my prayer would be, and this is a crazy idea, guys, seriously, that you and I, this little community that God is building, could begin to establish a new normal that looks a lot more like Scripture. Does that sound like fun to you? Three of us think that will be fun. The rest of us are just going to come along for the ride. Yeah, so a new normal that actually looks more like the Scripture describes it than like what we've made it to be. So let's, uh, let's dig in. You can go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to start in the very beginning of the book of Acts, and we're going to walk through it together. And if it's driving you nuts... Come on. You can put your wedding ring back on your left finger if you want. I think I just popped mine out of socket. So uh, it was driving me crazy to have it on my right. But you're going to realize that, listen, changing normal is hard. Okay? It's hard. Changing normal is hard. And so I'm encouraging you ahead of time that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, embrace the change. Here we go. Acts chapter 1. So uh, you know the, the backstory. Hopefully Jesus, um, he... Uh, First gives his, well, he comes to earth, right? And then he gives his life on the cross. He dies and spends three days in the grave. And then he comes back to life and is risen from the grave. And for 40 days, he hangs out and talks to his disciples, right? Now, you're reading the 40th day here. At the very end, the very last words he says physically to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. And I'm going to pick it up in verse Eight. Right in six and seven, they say, uh, Lord, when are you going to restore everything? And he says, it's not for your time. You know, it's not for you to know that. But the father has fixed the time. And then he says, but you and here's verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's read this one more time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the backstory. Now, what happens is in Acts chapter two, if you've ever read that, the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing mighty wind. The power of God rips through this building that they're in. And these people begin to speak in foreign languages that they don't know. A bunch of people from all over the earth hear them and they realize, listen, they're talking in languages they don't know. And they come to him. They say, what must we do to be saved? Paul steps forward. I mean, not Paul, excuse me. Peter steps forward and he begins to preach the gospel to these people and 3000 respond and give their lives to Christ. Shortly after that, Peter and John are then walking to the temple to worship. And as they're walking to the temple, there's a man who's lame laying outside the gate. And he says, hey, do you have any money? And they say, you know, we don't have any money, but what we have, we give you in Jesus. Jesus name rise up and walk and the man's bones are strengthened and he's supernaturally healed and he goes into the temple dancing and singing and then once he gets to the temple dancing and singing everybody thinks this is nuts how did you heal these people there's a riot breaking out so the religious authorities take Peter and John and they throw them in prison but you know you can't throw guys in prison that raise people like that and so an angel comes and releases them out of prison and so now they're back preaching the gospel again pretty soon thousands more are getting healed there's miracles happening Peter's shadow is healing the sick craziness is going on then Paul gets converted Stephen 
even get stoned, all types of mayhem breaks out. And before you know it, cities are being transformed by this supernatural, crazy move of God's spirit. Let me make a statement that I'm going to base everything I say this morning on. So if you want to write it down, you can. Normal Christianity is always marked by frequent displays of the power of God. Normal, this this should be not even need to be said, but unfortunately in our day and age, it needs to be said and preached and taught and explained. Normal Christianity is always marked by frequent displays of the power of God. Normal Christianity is always marked. And so what I'm telling you today is that you and I have in many regards slumped into an abnormal, slumped into a lifestyle that is not biblically normal. So let's dig into this a little bit. We're going to end up back at Acts chapter 1, but for a minute I want to hop over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So you can write that down if you'd like or look it up in your own Bible or on your app or whatever floats your boat. Acts, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read a little section here. You doing okay this morning? Okay, good. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read a chunk of this starting in verse um, 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the Corinthian church. Stay with me this morning because this has radical ramifications and application for the way that you live today. And we're going to get to that, but we've got to build the base first. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry... I'm going to read the whole thing. We'll go back and pick it apart a little bit. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory... Now, hold on. Maybe you grew up in church. I, I just said I was going to read the whole thing out loud. Maybe, maybe uh, you grew up in church. Let's take one wild guess as what the ministry of death carved in stone could be. Moses, right? Carved in stone. He had ten commandments. He's talking about the Old Testament law here. He's talking about a covenant that was made with the people of Israel long before you and I were ever born, right? And so he says now, if the, he calls it the ministry of death. That's a great name for it, huh? You know, like, hey, Moses, what are you doing? Just bring in the ministry of death. You know, like... Awesome. So now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit... Now, we just read Acts chapter 1. You know, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon them, right? And so from that moment on, it's the initiation of the church age in all of human history, and now we have the Spirit not just with us, not just to us, but now in us, because we become the temple of the living God, right? And so he says, if the ministry of death carved in stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more? If you have a little pen or whatever, you can underline those two words in your Bible, even more glory. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, The ministry of righteousness, if you were here for our Ephesians series, you know what that means. It means that righteousness was given to you, imputed to you through the cross. Not your righteousness, but the perfect righteousness of Jesus, right? So much more, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Stay with me. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is, go ahead and say that word, permanent. Wait, no, 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 it ended with the apostle, oh, really? No, no, it was just to get the church going, and then he took away all the gifts that he had just paid for. Really? And he never told us that, huh? No, 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 you don't understand, the perfect came through the scripture, and the partial was, really, was knowledge done away with? 
Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but that's uh, 1 Corinthians 14. It's a lot of people's reason for saying that, listen, the power is no longer available to us. What I'm telling you is that the power is available to us. Certainly God moved miraculously through the book of Acts. Certainly that was a unique era in human history. But God did not pay the price on the cross, die for our sins, rise from the grave, give us the spirit only to take it away. But he gave us the spirit to empower us to live like him. He said, those who believe in me, greater things will they do than I've done because I go to the father to sit at the right hand to give you the great gift of the spirit. This is what he says. And so here Paul calls it permanent. We'll have glory. Permanent. Well, those uh, what is permanent will have glory. So permanent means it's not going to go anywhere. You can look the word up in the Greek. You can look the word up in, you know, every different translation. You can read it in Strong's. You can do a million things with it. It still means permanent. And this word glory, well, what does glory mean? Glory means the manifestation of God. So what he's saying is the manifestation of God in the days of Moses was great. But what I'm telling you is that you have a greater opportunity for a greater manifestation of God in our day, in our time, because of what the Holy Spirit has done on the cross. It actually far exceeds the glory that was given to Moses. It makes that glory look like no glory because of the great glory that we can walk in now that is so incredibly glorious that it allows us to look and act like Jesus was on the earth. Hello. This is what's been made available to us. So Paul's response is this in verse 12. Therefore, he says, since we have such a hope, we are very passive. Wrong. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. So let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and try to figure out how this relationship works, okay? Because some of us would say, I don't agree with that. Well, if you prove it to me with Scripture, and then you can, uh, you can have that opinion, but otherwise, you're just not following what Scripture says. And some of us would say, I agree with that, but there's no evidence of it in your life. So you're having an issue with the actual application of this, right? And so let's try to figure out how do we apply this truth. You all staying with me tonight, today? Whatever time it is, I'm losing my mind. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll go back to this passage. Here we go. Now, the, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So whose power is it? It's the Holy Spirit's power. It's not your power. It's not going to be, listen, if you do enough, if you pray enough, if you, you know, lift enough spiritual weights, if you earn it enough, if you just like fast, if you levitate off the ground, if you spend every day, six hours a day in prayer, none of those things will earn you the power of God because the Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is a gift to believers. Right. And so you don't have to earn his power. It comes with the Holy Spirit and you receive the Holy Spirit. The day that you're converted, Christ comes to dwell in your heart by faith is what the scripture teaches. But then you're subsequently filled with the Holy Spirit as you seek him and ask for it. And so you can receive greater. You're already filled to the fullest just with having Christ in you, but greater manifestations of that fulfillment as you ask and seek. And so now the key word in this passage is you will receive Now, there's two primary words. I know you all were dying to learn Greek this morning, weren't you? Yeah. Okay, stay with me because this has huge applications, okay? There were two primary words used in Scripture for this word receive, okay? One is the Greek word lambano. It's kind of fun to say. Go ahead, say it yourself. That was very non-enthusiastic, by the way. So, lambano! Yeah, So, um, so yeah, that's the one Greek word, and that means active receiving, Okay, and then there's the second Greek word, which is dekomai, and that's a passive receiving. And I want to try to illustrate this for you. Come to me, my brethren. Um, I want to illustrate this for you today and hopefully help you get a picture of what the scripture is actually saying in that moment. So how many like to go out to eat? I just went out with uh, Ken and Lori the other night to TGI Fridays. It was delicious. And then I went out somewhere else to Mexican last night. I get to go out to eat a lot because, you know, people like to take ministers out. 
And uh, I don't know why I usually end up paying, but Ken and Lori paid, which is great. So anyways, you know, pretend, you know, for a second you're going out to eat and the waiter shows up and he's looking kind of shabby, you know, but um, you still, you know, you still love him, you know, whatever. You give him a good tip if he gets you a refill on your drink, you know, and uh, he says, you know, what can I get you, right? Oh, thanks, Cheech. Uh, I will have a bagel and uh, an orange juice and um, and a banana, and you're now ordering for me, and a sausage link, please. Thanks. And so, you know, you sit on your butt, right? And guess who does the work? Guess who does the work? They cook the food. They bring the food, usually too slow, right? And, uh, and then, thanks buddy, and then you have a delectable meal in front of you. What I just allowed you to see right here is the essence of decomai, okay? It is passive receiving. You received it, but you really didn't do anything except ask for it, right? And then they brought it. You can take it. That's not what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says. And you will receive power. It is not decomai. It is not passive receiving, okay? Instead, it's far much more like this. We have a beautiful buffet at this restaurant. Get your own butt up and put whatever you want on that plate. We prepared it. We made it. But your plate has nothing on it. I've given you the plate. I've given you the tray. Now you must actively receive by getting up, by going over to the buffet, and by taking all that you want. Are you following this this morning? Some of you are saying, well, you know, if God wanted me to have power in my life, then, you know, he would just give it to me. Wrong. Some of you are saying, well, I've been fasting and praying, Justin. I've been crying out. I've been seeking and I haven't been seeing the power of God. Wrong. You didn't make the food. Stop trying to make the food. You don't have to make the food. He makes the food. You didn't make the tray. He gives you the tray. All you've got to do is take your tray and lambano it. Receive from God what he has already prepared. Does that make sense to you today? And you will receive power. This means to take hold of, to lay hold of, to appropriate for oneself. It's the same word in the scripture. You can write this down. For in 1 Timothy where uh, Paul tells Timothy, take hold of the eternal life. Which, uh, which you were called to. This is the same word, take hold. That same word is the word lambano, to take, to receive from God, right? It's the same word when Jesus said, take up your cross, right? When he says, uh, go ahead and throw that next one up there. Ding! Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, it's the exact same word, lambano. Whoever does not receive his cross, but it's an active receiving. Are you following this today? Everyone who asks, guess what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 8? Everyone who asks, yeah, guess what word that is? It's Lombano. Takes. Everyone who asks, takes. Those who, Romans 5, 17, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in this life through the one. You do not have a God problem. Most of our problems come in us not understanding how normal is supposed to look in the body of Christ. What I'm telling you is normal is supposed to be when I come to God, he gives me his Holy Spirit by faith. I receive it, which all of us have that are believers. And now I take by faith from him and appropriate for myself his power in different situations in my life. I am supposed to be the one to take it. He is supposed to be the one to make it. I don't have to cook it up. I don't have to control it. All I have to do is actively receive it. This is why Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. Right? In Ephesians. 
to see the surpassing greatness of his power. So what are we taking? Well, the scripture tells us. It says, and you will receive power, right? Let me ask you a question. How many times over the last 50 days have you put your hand on the shoulder of a person who's sick and asked God to heal them? How many times? I made a guarantee years ago, and I've never once seen it not happen. If you will pray with as much faith as you have in person for 100 people, you will see a miracle. Well, what if, what if the 99 people don't get healed? They're no worse off, right? I mean, we can ask God, we can pray, and if they don't get healed, they're not any worse off than before you prayed. But that person that does get healed, that person that receives this power from God, that person is far better off. So would you rather always play it safe and not pray, or would you rather step forward and pray? How many people have you one-on-one said, I need to share with you how Christ has changed my life and how he has transformed the inside of me. Let me share with you the good news of Jesus. One-on-one, over coffee. How many times have you done that in the last three months? Because what I can guarantee is if you do that 10, 15, or 20 times, one of those people will look at you, and maybe not with these exact words, but they will say, what must I do to be saved? And you'll experience the joy of leading someone else to faith in Christ because you took the power from God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You actively received it. You didn't passively say, well, God, bring some. You actively took from the Lord what he's already made available by his grace through the cross. Look at what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to do this morning is cultivate within us a culture where normal is that we actively take the power of God and execute and bring that power into our everyday circumstances. Are you following this today? What I'm trying... See, when the New Testament readers read this, they already knew Lombano, they already knew Decomai, and they read this and they said, yeah, okay, we got to take it. All right, fair enough. Let's go and let's pick up that guy off the ground and pray for his healing. And let's go and let's ask God for a miracle here. And he says, you will be my... Witnesses, yeah. And guess what word that is? It's the Greek word for martyr. He's saying you will be so radically, wholeheartedly committed to me that your whole life will be dominated by giving itself for me. So here's the New Justin translation. I just wrote this to help you sort of clarify what he was saying in this moment. He says this, my, let me close your eyes, just listen to this this morning, my dynamite explosive power, that word for power is dunamis, which means dynamite, right? It's, it's the word we get dynamite from. So my dynamite explosive power is going to be made available to you when I send the Holy Spirit to the church. And as you take it and lay hold of it, my power will be displayed and you will share the gospel and give your life for me and the whole world will hear. Normal Christianity is marked by frequent displays of his power. Do you want to live a normal Christian life or do you want to live a 2012, you know, average, normal American Christian life? Look, I want the normal to be defined by what scripture has made available, not by what society has accepted. And I am unwilling, this community of believers, the leadership here, we are unwilling to accept anything less than the fullness of God's power in our lives. And I urge you not to accept anything less in your life. You might say, well, Justin, when it, when, what if it doesn't happen? What if, you know, what if God doesn't move? What if something, listen, I've prayed for more people that didn't got healed. I've prayed for more miracles that didn't happen. Well, what do you do in those moments? What do you say in those moments? In those moments, you don't have to have all the answers, friend. You're not God. In those moments, you keep your eyes on Jesus and you magnify him 
whether he does it or not, realizing it, like Hebrews 11 says, that you know what? I see the promise from afar, and I welcome it, and I recognize that I'm a stranger in exile on this earth, that I don't belong here, and I'm moving to a new place, an eternal place where this will already be done, and I trust you in the midst of trial, God. And here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that I would rather go down swinging and asking and believing than go down doubting and fearing and wondering. And I'm urging you this morning to begin to embrace what normal Christianity is. So Acts chapter 2, you've probably read it. Acts chapter 2, the church is born, 3,000 people are saved. A lame guy is healed, 5,000 get saved right after that. Ananias and Sapphira lie about giving the money to the church, and they get killed, dropped down dead by the Holy Spirit. Then, G- then Peter's shadows start healing people. An angel breaks them out of prison. Stephen sees Jesus and then gets stoned. Philip gets transported. Saul gets converted. Dorcas gets raised from the dead. Bummer of a name for her. But, you know, she gets raised from the dead. Peter falls into a trance. God tells him the Gentiles are going to be saved. Cornelius, an Italian, gets saved. His whole family starts speaking in tongues. The gospel starts to explode. In 42 AD, Mark goes to Egypt. In 49 AD, Paul goes to Turkey. In 51, Paul goes to Greece and Europe, begins to experience the power of God. 52, Thomas goes to India and India starts to experience God's power. In AD 66, Thaddeus goes to Armenia. 150, the gospel reaches Portugal. In 174, Christians are found in Austria. By AD 200, Switzerland and Belgium have heard the gospel. By AD 250, there's 30,000 Christians in Rome. In Rome, By 280, the rural areas of northern Italy have experienced the gospel. By AD 350, there's 31.7 million Christians in the Roman Empire. That's 53% of the entire Roman Empire. By 432, Ireland hears the gospel. By 500, northern Yemen begins to hear the gospel. In 596, the gospel begins to spread across England, and 10,000 are converted in two years. By 635, the first Christians reach China. In 740, Irish monks reach Iceland. In 900, the first converts are found in Norway. In AD 1015, most of Russia is converted by the gospel. By AD 1200, the Bible is found in 22 different languages. 14 98 Christians are found in Kenya. By 1509, the first church is planted in Puerto Rico to the glory of God. By 1554, converts are found in Thailand. In 1620, pilgrims cross the Atlantic Ocean and plant a new colony in Plymouth. In 1671, Quaker missionaries reach the Carolinas. By 1734, two-thirds of the American colonies have been converted by the Great Awakening. By 1818, the Christians first reach Madagascar. In 1904, the Welsh revival breaks out and 100,000 people are saved in nine months. In 1949, Billy Graham sees revival in Los Angeles. In 1989, Campus Crusade for Christ has brought the gospel to 93 countries out of the hundred and something countries that there are today. There's spiritual awakening in South America. There's a church in Chile of 350,000 people. There's a church in South Korea right now of over a million members since 1949. Christians in China have grown a hundred times. There's now over a hundred million Christians. Every corner of the earth is experiencing a spiritual stirring and awakening from South America to Africa to Australia to Asia. And here we are sitting in North America with more access, with more opportunity, with more freedom and with more possibility than any other place on the planet. And we are sitting on our hands. I want to be a part of a community that accomplishes the impossible. I want to be a part of a community. The band can come up. I want to be a part of a community that actually accomplishes the impossible, that actually sees God do things that you only hear stories about. I want to have the courage to ask God for miracles. I want to be like the Apostle Paul and say, since we have this hope, we are very bold. Since we have this hope, 
we are very bold. Is that your attitude in life? You might be here and you're saying, Justin, I can't think about like the power of God and, you know, changing the world and all these things. Like, man, you don't understand. I am bound in addiction right now. Well, friend, this is all good news for you because what I'm telling you is there's a God that still absolutely, completely, radically sets people free from addiction. I was so blessed by Melanie's testimony today. The girl said, listen, I was petrified to go on an elevator for years and by God's grace and power, he removed that fear and now I have courage. And sometimes maybe I wrestle, but listen, God has fundamentally changed me and I have courage to step into his promise. You see, that's what God is all about, guys. And you might say, listen, I'm wrestling with addiction. The great news is there is a God who is way stronger than that. You might say, well, listen, I'm wrestling with some illness or some disease. And the good news is that God will meet you and God will heal you by his strength. You may say, listen, I've been praying for the same people for so long. The good news is that God can warm the coldest heart, break into the darkest place and heal the most far away person that you could ever imagine. But you'll receive power. You'll take power power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. What if we took the power that God gave us? Go ahead and stand your feet. Through the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what normal is. And what I want to tell you this morning is that normal Christianity is marked by frequent displays of the power of God. Normal Christianity is marked by frequent displays of the power of God. And I'm asking you to do something radical. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask and you will take. You will actively receive. Take hold of the eternal life that you've you've been called to in 1 Timothy. Take hold of it. Listen, there's whole groups that love Jesus, that honor Jesus. There's churches that I've been a part of, you've been a part of, that that God loves them, honors them. God does great things through them, but for some reason we put limits and borders on what Scripture's given us, and we never take it. We just never take it. We get the tray, we get the thing, but we never actually walk up to the buffet and begin to access what God's been giving, given to us. So my heartbeat right now My prayer is that faith would start to rise up inside of us. Go ahead and ask the Lord right now. Jesus, would you stir my heart to faith right now? Jesus, would you begin to stir me up to a place of faith right now? Jesus, I'm asking you to begin to grab my heart with faith, to believe you for that thing that I've been so scared to believe you for, to ask you for that thing that I didn't even think was okay to ask you for. God, that thing that I know is not your plan. I know that you don't want them sick. I know that you don't want them in pain. I know that you don't want them struggling with that same habitual sin day in and day out. I know that you don't want that in my life, God. I don't know what your story specifically is. But I can tell you that there is something in your life where you need God to invade. There is something in your life where you need God to invade. And I believe right now the Holy Spirit's going to begin to allow you to see those things in your heart, in your mind, in your mind's eye. You're going to start to see those places where you are in desperate need of a Holy Spirit invasion. And let's begin to ask him. The Bible says, ask and you will actively receive. Ask and you can take. Ask and you will receive. That's what the scripture says. And so let's right now, right here, begin to ask the Lord. Go ahead. Just begin to ask him right now. Begin to ask him, Lord, would you intervene in this circumstance? God, would you step in? And I'm going to take it by your grace. I'm going to access from you what you've already given through the cross. God, right now I'm asking. God, right now I'm asking. Melanie is not going to be 
abnormal that God healed her, but that is going to be the norm in the culture of this community, that we are a people that dramatically receive the power of God in a supernatural, significant way. Because that's what normal is. So, Lord, right now I receive. Lord, right now I receive.